Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you each week someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it. But most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Hi guys, so welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. We have a very special episode today. We have with us Claudia Rota. Now, Claudia is an author, an entrepreneur, investor, you name it, but she recently wrote a book called Yes, You Can Do This, How Women Start Up, Scale Up and Build the Life They Want. Yes, it's a book I thoroughly enjoyed reading and I recommend you find it today online or in your nearest bookshop. Um, Claudia is also the GM of one of the world's top accelerated programs called Techstars. Um, I've got a little bit about you here, Claudia. I'm just going to go into it really quickly. Um, You were named by the Boston Business Journal in 2016 as a woman to watch in science and technology. Um, Claudia also has her own podcast called The 43% that celebrates stories of, you know, success stories of women that have been through business and then had to kind of balance family work-life balance. Um, She interviews some really extraordinary women, which hopefully we'll talk to a little bit later about Claudia. Firstly, I want to really thank you for participating in the Parlay Me Power Players uh, podcast today. Um, To get going, Claudia, I know that you are firsthand have experience in what it's like to juggle family and work life, um, or as we call it, the lean in and lean out movement, what it takes to return from motherhood, uh, from, you know, taking some time out, so to speak, to start a family. Um, Ironically, we were going to do this podcast last week, weren't we, Claudia? But I actually, (laughs) I actually um, started laboring and had my own child last week. So Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, oh gosh, I really wanted to do the podcast and I went into labor. I'm like, okay, we have to put that off. Um, so a real testimony to, you know, people juggling and you were very flexible, Claudia. So thank you for, you know, rescheduling. Yeah, I would not have demanded that we continue the podcast while you were in labor. <laughs> and I thank you that you didn't. So this past week has been a, a lot, but no, thank you. So I, I just want to go back to, you know, yourself um, and, you know, when you kind of, I guess, dipped out of the workforce, so to speak, for I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was about three years. Um, and then you came back in 2014, if I'm correct, to start your own SaaS company. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you kind of came about, what like what instigated you to obviously start your own startup. And I did actually listen to one of your podcasts the other day where you talked about how you had to juggle even doing conferences from your son's closet, <laughs> which was quite <laughs> extraordinary. So if you could tell our listeners kind of a little bit about that, it might be a nice place to start. 
Sure thing. Um, and thanks again for having me here. Yeah, the uh, my kids are now teenagers, so they're 17 and 15 in high school. I stepped out of the, I was in a, my, I was relatively early in my career. Um, I worked for UBS in their technology division. And um, I really loved my career. I loved my job. Uh, I loved, uh, you know, the sense of purpose that a career provides in that way. Um, but after I had my first child um, in 2003, uh, a long time ago now, it was much harder than I thought it was going to be to, to simply seamlessly re-enter the world of work. Um, you know, as my maternity leave was coming to an end, I just remember feeling completely overwhelmed and feeling like I didn't have a, a, a strong sense of how I was going to make it all work. Um, you know, I felt like my body was almost just getting back to normal and the baby was just barely getting to a point where they were, you know, he was sleeping. And um, at that point, you know, childcare was, uh, you know, expensive for me at that point in my career. And all the options I had before me were actually going to be very complicated. They were going to be adding time to my work commute. Um, they were, you know, not, uh, you know, just nothing really seemed like it was easy. So yeah, so I, I ended up stepping out and then um, we had another child a few years later. They're, my kids are 23 months apart. Um, and when I was ready to step back in and ready to, you know, think about how I was going to contribute more financially, um, I realized I didn't feel like I had all the options that I thought I would have. Um, I had been busy this whole time. I had my kids and I was a, a board director for a local library and I had taken on all these home renovation projects. Um, and so, you know, I was, you know, I felt like I had been working and active in many ways the whole time. And yet all the things I was doing were not things that the traditional corporate world were now going to value. And in fact, I felt like I was going to have to explain away all this time and, um, you know, in parallel, like had some ideas for companies and so, and some different problems I had seen. So uh, was able to, you know, start a SaaS business. Um, my husband actually was super supportive of this and he worked part-time with me in the beginning as a co-founder at night. Um, he, you know, he's a, actually a software developer. So yeah, built out this business um, over time with my kids kind of in tow and uh, ended up raising capital for the company in, um, you know, on two different rounds. And then we were acquired in 2014 by another company. Um, and I went on to lead their uh, digital services and their innovation team and uh, really had a, a relatively long run as a senior executive at a, at a very large organization post acquisition um, and then stepped into Techstars um, just over two, two and a years ago now, I decided to try my hand at, you know, this side of the, the house to helping startups and making investments in them. You know, I've kind of come up for air, I guess, a little bit in the last few years and kind of stood back and looked at this crazy journey I had and realized that the, the path I took actually allowed me to enter pretty high levels of leadership uh, in a way that I hadn't really been considering. And when I look at all the stats out there right now on how Less than 6% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. Less than 20% of corporate board seats are held by women. I started to think about why is it really like this? And is entrepreneurship actually the path to help make change in the stats on women in leadership? And that's what prompted me to start my podcast and then and write this book. Fantastic. Well, you definitely seem like you have your hands full. You have a lot going on. <laughs> I think that's 
you know, an, uh, an attribute of most entrepreneurs. We always juggle a lot, a lot of things and do it really well. Um, uh, one thing, um, you know, to talk about your book, obviously, um, yes, you can do this. It's, it's not so much a self-help book or a, a business journal, but what I like about it is that you, you give some really candid, I would have to say, and very, um, you know, real life accounts and firsthand experiences of what it's like to be an entrepreneur and a female and, you know, a mother and all this. Um, and also you bring in some kind of fictional storytelling to it as well, where you kind of, you know, you use characters or settings to kind of describe, you know, real life situations. Um, can you tell us a little bit kind of about the approach to the book that you took in writing it um, and that you use some fictional settings and then your own accounts and then you also have really great practical guides and checklists as well throughout it. So I find it's a really good uh, mix for myself reading it. But can you tell us a little bit about why you took that approach? Yeah, happy to. Um, so, you know, I started on the premise of, okay, how how do I, you know, basically create a manifesto that encourages women to think about entrepreneurship as a way to really change the rules? And, you know, how can I provide resources in this book that will help them do that? Um, so, you know, that's where you see some of the practical takeaways, but when I was doing research on, well, the, why is it so complicated? Why are the challenges there? Um, realize that so many of the challenges we encounter involve things that are very situational. You know, when we're talking about things like unconscious bias or conditioning that happens to women at a very early age and early childhood, different rules that have been around that have impacted the way in which we engage with each other. I realized that I wasn't going to be able to really articulate those by just telling my story. And I didn't think it was going to resonate by just reliving, restating some of the stats or restating some of the research. And so I tried to create some characters who were at different stages of their career um, journey, you know, including, you know, a character who's very early in her career, but motivated, someone else who's a senior executive and kind of has some problems solved and in, in as a mentor, uh, you know, a founder who's who's working as a developer, and then, um, you know, another character who's a mom and is thinking about, you know, what's next after stepping out and tried to come up with scenarios that actually correlated to the research I had read um, to help people my goal was that we kind of bring these things to life in a way that's non-judgmental, but lets people see some of the more nuanced, um, you know, thoughts that people have around this stuff and and how it how it impacts how we interact with each other. So, you know, tried to set up scenarios around you know the younger woman who maybe didn't get the promotion uh, and and what were some of the things that led to that, things that she could control and things that were frustrating because of the way the the org was structured. Um, and her male counterparts acted. Um, I tried to set up a scenario where you could see, uh, you know, what maybe happens like from a confidence perspective for a mom trying to return to the traditional workforce. What are some of the the conversations that actually happen around, you know, hey, what, why, why did we as a couple or as an individual make this decision to step out in the first place? Where, where does the husband or partner fit into this? Um, so yeah, that was the reason to basically bring to life in a much more tangible way, I hope, uh, some of the research that's out there. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really clever and it keeps you engaged and delivers to many audiences as well because there are people that, you know, they really like the practical guidance. There's others that like, you know, the situational, they like the fictional kind of settings, if you will, even though they're, you know, real 
real uh, things that happen. And also, you know, we love hearing someone that's been through it, like those real life candid um, the, uh, tales. So you've, you've, you've pieced it together really nicely. What I, myself, um, I, what stood out to me, I mean, the stats and the figures, I know we hear the stats all the time, overwhelming how much women are, you know, not represented to the way they should be in startups and entrepreneurship and in general business and corporate. Um, one stat that really stood out to me was that only 17% of US companies offer paid maternity leave. When I read that in your book, I was like floored. I guess I live in this world where I just presume that everyone has paid maternity leave, heaven forbid. But yeah, I was really, and it really kind of hit home with me, obviously, because I'm a new mother myself. And I just thought, wow, there's so much groundwork that needs to be done. So thankfully for books like yours and and your book, I think it really gives tools um, for women to kind of rebuild, I guess, their destiny or write their own rules, if you will. What's interesting, I think, at the moment, Claudia, is that we're kind of this intersection, yeah, like, mm-hmm. or a, a point of reflection, at least I hope the world is with the pandemic that's going on. Um, we're all suddenly kind of in the same boat. We're all face the same enemy, so to speak, the vi- invisible virus, as they call it, um, you know, no matter borders, religion or politics. It's definitely something that's uniting the world, something that, you know, I can see whether it's going to draw up harder borders or bring them down we'll we get to see but um and look every country has its own tactics and you know um how they kind of you know approach the virus but I thought it was a good analogy for kind of women's fight as well um Governor Cuomo addressed the other day in a press briefing um the, you know the big debate about reopening yeah when do we reopen how do we reopen when's it too soon to reopen you know all this everyone's talking about it he saw it in another light. I thought it was quite interesting, politics aside, obviously. Um, but he saw it in another light that instead of reopening, he put a really great thing to New Yorkers. He said, let's reimagine New York, yeah? Let's reimagine what it could be rather than taking the old, having a break and going back mm-hmm. to the old. What can we change? And I thought there was something that, you know, resonated with the way your book kind of opens up. It's like, let's reimagine works okay you step away from work you have a family but rather than come back and step back into it as it were you can apply your own rules you can reimagine what it is um I thought there was a nice kind of <laughs> you and Gov- uh, Governor Cuomo on the same <laughs> wave um I, I just definitely think that we're in this moment I mean it's funny I wrote the book before all of these things have happened right Re- obviously regarding the pandemic but they were based on my observation that oftentimes you know because when you go back and you look at some of the stats you're like wow until 1974 women couldn't get credit without a male co-signer and in the U.S. anyway and you couldn't you could still be discriminated against for being pregnant and so when I think about like all, but at that, imagine at that moment in time, up until those laws changed, people in society were like, well, this is how it is. And so I just think we're at this moment in time where we have this real opportunity for all of us to say, is this really what we want? Is this really the structure of, is, is our workday working for us as people, you know, more now more than, you know, the, the current world of work was designed fundamentally with a single earner male had a household and 
stay, you know, stay at home mom behind the scenes, taking care of things. And we know that's not how people are managing their lives at this point, right? We know that, you know, it's, it's, we're in a different world and yet work itself hasn't really changed. We're just kind of chipping away at things. So yeah, I think there's a great opportunity to rethink everything, uh, rethink what the day looks like, rethink what the school day looks like. Um, and, uh, and in the process, I, you know, with COVID, I think it's going to be fascinating to rethink our supply chains, you know, and their vulnerabilities and rethink, you know, how much, how much carbon we're emitting when we drive and commute to work. Um, and, you know, I think one of the few positive outcomes of this whole terrible experience, um, is that, uh, you know, mother earth, so to speak, is getting a a break (laughs) for a moment. Uh, and, you know, before we start turning everything back on, it'd be really great to really, you know, let's all just take a breath and really think about, okay, this is our world, our world, world of work. What do we, what do we really want this to be? And what do we want our future to look like? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I really hope that, you know, there are some, some good that comes out of this, you know, uh, challenging time for everyone indeed. And they, that we do take pause and reflect and, and reimagine. Um, I, I want to touch on something else with you, um, just in regards to the way men and women, um, I guess, how we're built, how we conduct ourselves, how we approach business. Um, but something that uh, you mentioned um, in your book, you note that uh, stories of entrepreneurial success um, exist in abundance for men who receive 97.8%, to be precise, of venture funding and hold 90 percent of CEO roles so what what is it do you think that men and women are doing differently how they approach it because you know you're you obviously working um at tech stars and you're working with entrepreneurs founders first time um business owners and serial uh, business owners um what is it are there one or two attributes I mean surely there's a long list that everyone's different they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and whatnot but is there generally something different in the way men and women approach our business um that you find that can contribute to these figures yeah i think there's i think it's not uh i don't think it's you know one one simple answer to that i think there are a number of different factors and um some of it really comes down to societal imagery the unconscious biases that we hold and, and to kind of bring that to, you know, make that a little bit clearer, I guess, you know, the, some of the research I was doing shows that, for example, at a very young age, girls are more conditioned in school to, um, and rewarded for compliant behavior. So getting the answer right, coming in on time, you know, sitting in their seat nicely, um, boys are more likely to be ignored for that behavior, um, but they get an awful lot of attention for misbehavior, for not following the rules, for kind of, you know, being mischievous. Um, and so the, I, there's this tie-in, I think, to the world of work where, you know, because you see the stats, like women are making up more than 50% of college graduates, certainly a huge 70% of um, high school, you know, top of their class valedictorians are, are females in the U.S. And so, you know, we are seeing a, a, you know, I think we're going to see some progress, but it's slow, right, for for women into leadership. I think part of it is that, you know, it, it impacts, you know, the way that we think 
of how we do things. So for example, there's, there's research that shows that investors are more likely to ask women questions about risk and they're more likely to ask men questions about opportunity. And if you're talking about risk all the time, it's much more difficult to get someone to buy into your long-term vision and why this is something that you should invest in. Um, and but so the, the trap is that women are more likely to answer that question too. So one of the things I'm I'm trying to, you know, hopefully shed some light on is, hey, if you get that question, great, but how do you redirect it back to opportunity? And those same studies show that when women direct the answer back to where they want to take it, they will get the funding or they will, you know, get the leadership. It's very, so like there's things that are kind of ingrained in all of us. Um, there's also a challenge with, you know, the imagery that we all see, you know, in society. Like if you go Google CEO right now under the images field, um, or at least the last time I checked this a few weeks ago, almost all of the images that come up are of Caucasian men in suits. Um, and so that's what their algorithm is outputting for CEO, right? Um, whereas, uh, you know, so, but when you start to see the image of someone who looks like you uh, in a certain role, it's easier to imagine yourself in that role. Like if you don't see anyone who looks like you, you know, in a position, it's actually much harder to even take that step because you're, it seems foreign to you. So I think that we have to solve this through, you know, multiple channels, marketing that shows more, you know, equity and imagery, um, education on what leads to, you know, unconscious, you know, bias questioning that doesn't serve, um, serve the cause and an education for um, women and men on some, you know, take how they can take a step back and kind of do a check on, you know, the way in which they're approaching a situation. Yeah, no, it's it's super important. And is there something like for anyone that's listening to our to our podcast and they're think sitting at home and they might have one or two kids or they might be in uh, you know, just considering having children in the fu- future and taking some time off work. What well, what is there something that they can do, like a practical tip that you'd say maybe just one or two things um, that they can do with they're sitting at home thinking how, when, you know, is it is it worthwhile women getting, you know, community is really important, right? The people you surround yourself yeah. with. Um, is there any like top tips you'd recommend that women that are sitting there going, but how do I do this? I can't even get like, like you said, can't afford childcare, can't, you know, they, they've kind of got roadblocks in front of them. Are there any like one or two practical tips you could give, give women that are listening yeah, I, I would say twofold. One, um, you know, try to try to take a step back and think it's sometimes it's very hard to think about the future when your current reality is very stressful and we're all in stressful times. But if you can take a step back and clear your head a bit and really try to envision the the maybe the world you want to live in or the the way in which you want things to look for your life a few years out. Um, and then, um, you know, and just write that down. It's a simple exercise, but to start to get a little bit clearer. So you're not necessarily just walking down someone else's path that's been created by someone else for you. Um, but really getting clear about what is the world that you want to live in and you want to create? Um, what does that really look like? If you could wave a magic wand, what would it be? And get very clear about that. And then you're going to have a framework that you can start to walk back. On okay, if I'm ever going to get to that place or live in that world, 
what are some of the steps I could do to take, get there? I think if you start the other way and you start with today, sometimes it can be, it can be overwhelming. So start with mm-hmm. where you want to go and come back um, is one, mm-hmm. one tip I have. Uh, in terms of uh, community and, and mentorship, I mean, obviously it's tough right now because we can't meet in person, but there are tons of virtual things happening. So many different mm-hmm. organizations, you know, including Techstars, obviously, but you know, and you know, organizations like Venture Cafe. There's tons of different places that um, are taking what would have been in-person events and trying to convert them to virtual as networking opportunities. We actually yes. did an event last night for um, female founders and investors in the Boston area, and we were all on a Zoom together uh, for about almost an hour and a half last night. So you know, look for you know, do a simple search in your area or in your interest area, and you'll probably find a virtual event that you could participate in to start networking um, are probably two things I would think about. And, and in some ways, the virtual piece is great if you're a mom right now, because uh, you don't have to worry about finding a sitter or, you know, uh, trying to navigate it. You can, and everyone's being, you know, or finding something to wear that fits you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, can just, you can just log into your computer and, and network with folks right now, which is kind of a really interesting opportunity great way that the playing field has been leveled because that's another barrier for a lot of women is like, oh, great, there's a networking event downtown in some city, but I need to find childcare. I need to pay for a babysitter. Um, it's Your time is just so precious. And so it's, you know, in a lot of ways, this virtual virtual world we're in, I think is going to create a lot of opportunities for people who felt um, constrained previously by their ability to be, you know, live in person all the time. Absolutely. And a lot of organizations have had to go very fast and drastically digitally and opening up their resources. So I think it is a great time. And I, 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 I agree with you. I think this time can be very empowering to women, um, you know, as we, you know, for, to ideally rise in the workplace through, you know, virtual opportunities and whatnot. Um, I want to talk briefly and without going too much into it, because we are here today to talk about your book, but I just want to touch upon like Techstars, if you don't mind. And for those listening that don't know a lot about Techstars, um, you know, it's one of the top accelerators in the world. Um, to my knowledge, it's now in 49 cities, if I'm correct, across the US, Europe, Australia, Singapore, and South Korea even, among many other countries. Um, you guys, mm-hmm. each accelerator, as I understand it, accepts 10 companies each year that pass through month-long program um, that culminates in a demo day, so to speak. From my understanding as well, despite the global, you know, crisis and whatnot, you guys are forging ahead um, and you're taking your demo days online, so to speak, mm-hmm. which you just spoke to. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about like how you joined Techstars or rather perhaps what drew you to Techstars? Because I I, it's a, an amazing organization and you're an equally amazing person, but I'd love to know how the two came together or became alive. Yeah, no, Techstars is an awesome organization. I'm super um, privileged to be able to work with the folks at Techstars. So yeah, I, you know, post, uh, I was working for the company that had acquired my company and really got quite comfortable there. I was, um, you know, like I said, I was running digital services. I was running a labs team, had, you know, a, a sizable, um, you know, unit that I was responsible for and really a great company. Also, I should say Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which, which did our acquisition. Um, but I had, I had gotten to the point where I thought, okay, what's next? I had been at that, that company for just over four years and I kind of felt like I was ready for the next phase of my journey, so to speak. 
And um, I had just been starting to think about also ways that I could give back to the startup community. Um, and, you know, had I, I had known about TechStars for a long time. Uh, it's been around for 13 years and it's just been this phenomenal growth story of, you know, based on the premise that entrepreneurs can make a better world. So, you know, just as I was starting to think that way, I saw an opportunity um, that was actually back in the area that I'm from in Connecticut uh, and an opportunity to kind of do something I hadn't done before um, and yet not give up some skills I had developed. So I was able to join Techstars as a managing director where I was responsible for making investments in 10 companies a year in partnership with another organization, Stanley Black & Decker. Uh, So of our uh, accelerators that we run around the world, about half are run in cities and are essentially city programs uh, like New York, London, Los Angeles. And then the other um, group of accelerators are run with a corporate partner. And it gives us an opportunity to think about a vertical focus for each program. So with Stanley Black and Decker, we focused on, um, and we do focus, I should say, mm-hmm. on uh, advances in manufacturing. Uh, with you know MetLife, we focus on insure tech and employee engagement solutions. With um, Amazon, we are focusing on voice technologies. So it gives you this really neat opportunity to kind of hone in. So we joined uh, Techstars a few years ago in the role of managing director. Um, and have made investments in 20 companies now. And it's, it's just been a phenomenal experience. And um, more recently, in the last six months, I was asked to take on a new role as general manager for the East Coast. So I'm responsible for all the accelerators up and down the, the coast now. And uh, it, it's, you know, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a servant leader position. The managing directors really run their programs um, and, you know, they're essentially, you know, it's their um you know, their opportunity to really invest and support companies. So um, yeah, it's just, it's a phenomenal place to work. It's a, it's a great organization. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. No, that's, it's fantastic. And, and what I love about Techstars um, is kind of, I guess you have code of conduct, so to speak, um, which really resonated with me, um, this give first yeah. culture. And what I interesting um and i'm hoping obviously you can shed some more light on it is kind of how you guys implement this or install this philosophy into startups because i thought it was obviously i was reading it on the website and i saw that you even like if people don't abide by this they can be out so to speak like in a serious business like the give first um mentality yeah. so can you shed a little bit of light on what that is and how you guys kind of implement it Absolutely. So one of yeah, one of the core values. So our our we're a B corporation and the primary focus of Techstars is on, you know, helping entrepreneurs succeed. And we do that in a number of different ways. I mean, one way is obviously through the investments via the accelerators. We also have um, you know, a number of like community events and, and activities that we run to kind of support entrepreneurs called startup weeks and startup weekends. We have um, an investment, an additional investment arm that makes investments in companies. And then we also have, you know, innovation solutions for lar- large corporations to help them, you know, as their partner in innovation and also help them interact with the startup ecosystem. Um, but all of this works when we, when we think about what's, what, you know, when we come down to decision making, what is right for the founder in this situation? Um, and you know, how can we really, you know, be helpful? So, the, uh, you know, the idea is in each program, in each accelerator, we bring in mentors from across the network, um, from, you know, like the MD's network, the broader network. And the idea is these people are coming in 
um, truly giving their time to the companies um, and the managing director is working with the companies to figure out, because we're an accelerator, figure out where are these companies' biggest gaps or areas for opportunity and then helping them connect with you know, the top like three to five people who are really going to be able to help them move their business along during the program. So that might mean they need help with go to market. They might need help with financials. They might need help with a specific technology, but really getting them surrounded with people who can, who can help them on their mission. And the, the core, you know, ethos philosophy, you know, going back to the founders, David Brown and David Cohen is that, you know, what, what's kind of ingrained in all of us is that it, when you, when you do give first, um, without expecting anything in return, like more good things will just start to happen for everyone, right? And um, if you're transactional, if you're you know trying to see what's in it for you today, um, you might have something happen in the short term, but it's not necessarily going to be the long term win. So that's really you know it's baked into our culture. Um, it's also part of our culture in that we're very much a distributed organization. I'm obviously working from home right now, but that's not actually unusual for us at Techstars. We have our central headquarters out in Boulder, but we have offices and people all around the world. And um, one of the things that's also ingrained in everyone is to assume good intent. So it's so easy, as you know, when, when you don't know what's going on or someone sends an email and you're like, what did that email mean? You know, to, to kind of go down a negative path, it's just human nature sometimes. And one of the things that's great about this organization is that we have a, you know, kind of a reminder of like, hey, if you're not sure what this meant or you feel concerned about something, let's just talk about it and assume that the person on the other side of that exchange meant something good and meant something to be helpful. Um, and it actually kind of takes out a lot of the nonsense. It's a really, you know, it's just a great place to work. Um, but And we also have, yeah, in the code of conduct, it, you know, there, it's a mechanism to ensure that we don't allow, you know, some... The behaviors are certainly in programs where you know there, you don't have to be fearful of harassment or discrimination or obviously anything like that. And if you do see some see something, you know there's a safe way to say something, so to speak. Nice, I like that. I like it's a nice place to it's a positive place to a foundation, if you will, to start from. So yeah. I really like that. Um, what is interesting is obviously you had your accelerators kind of in full force as you will. Um, and then the kind of the lockdown measures came in. I, I'm interested, like, because obviously it is so much about relationships and building trust and, um, whatnot. What, what kind of tools, because, you know, you, you've got accelerators, I guess, that knew each other, you know, they were, you know, uh, interacting in real real life in you know face to face and then they mm-hmm. went to online virtual tools what kind of um you know tools are you using for new accelerators that will be coming up to help founders startups really um you know get to know each other build trust um rapport and all that good stuff yeah. So, I mean, I think this this crisis has really been obviously very sudden for everyone, very dramatic. Um, one of the things that's been really amazing to see unfold at Techstars is that we already had uh, quite a bit of experience with a virtual program. Um, you know, we have a pr- programming that's been going on since 2017, where we have an accelerator that's completely virtual. And and we've more recently um, have a newer accelerator ahead of all this, the COVID, the world of COVID, uh, that's a partner program that's virtual. So we were, you know, actually pleasantly surprised at, you know, the fact that while while this is certainly a challenge, um, we we really did have a, a pretty seamless experience to not only be able to 
take programs like, you know, here in Boston, um, you know, accelerators where people had already arrived, they were already in person, and then the measures mm-hmm. happened and we had to figure out how to, you know, turn, convert that in real time into right. a virtual program. And then we have other programs coming up where we're, we're making decisions as we, you know, as the time comes, uh, you know, in terms of what does this need to be virtual or can this be in person? We run six six times a year, essentially. So there's always a program running somewhere. Um, but it's been a pretty seamless experience. And I think it's in large part because of the, you know, the, the experience that Techstars as an organization already has doing it. And we have best practices from the managing directors who have run those programs. But using a combination of tools, um, as everyone is, you know, to keep folks engaged, like, you know, like Zoom. Um, but at, in terms of the, the live interaction of it, you know, MDs are doing some pretty interesting things like virtual, uh, you know, virtual events with their found with the founders and mentors um, at different times. Like there's just there's a number of different ways that, you know, people are staying engaged with, you know, the founders and program. And it's a huge testament to sort of the the Techstars capabilities and, and understanding what tools and how to lever them, but also the managing directors and program directors uh, and managers rather down, you know, on the, the teams themselves and being able to keep those those conversations going with founders on a daily basis. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, I, I, I look, I think it obviously brings up many opportunities as well as challenges. And it definitely if you've already kind of started down that path and, you know, have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, sounds like you guys are definitely ahead of the curve. Um, I wanted to just quickly talk about your podcast, which <laughs> I've been listening to, which I love. It's called <laughs> The 43. 43- Descent, and it's based on the premise that you know at um any one stage that forty three percent of women leave traditional workforce when they have children, um and you interview some really uh, phenomenal women. Um, can you tell us um quickly like are there any particular women you've interviewed of late or might have been in your earlier series because I think you're in series three now yeah. um that stood out to you or stories that resonated with you. Um, look, I know if you're anything like me, all your all your babies, so to speak, or your guests, I should say, are equal. But is there someone that you know kind of resonates with you, um, their story that you could share with our listeners today? Yeah, I mean, I I um, I love all the guests that I've been. So I feel like I've been so lucky. Some of them have been people that I've just known a really long time, and other people. Um, are people I've interviewed that um, I'm I actually was meeting for the first time as we were talking. So it's been just like a phenomenal experience to even do the podcast. Um, I'll, I'll give you two quick examples. Can I give you two? <laughs> um, so so most recently, and it's freshest for me because I just uh, went live with her episode and interviewed her last week. Is Sadie Lincoln, who is the CEO and founder of um, Bar Three, the fitness company. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but they have like 140 franchise locations. And she just had such, um, you know, she just had such a phenomenal story of how she was able to develop her company and build a community at the same time. And um, I walked away feeling so energized by our conversation because she was really sharing, not like the tactical, this is how you build a business, but she really talked about what she needed to do from a relationship standpoint and from a self-care standpoint. So, you know, it was, it was just a lovely conversation and I felt like I, I got, I was very lucky to be able to talk with her and, and hear, you know, how she's, how she's dealing with COVID and, and how she built this organization and, and whatnot. And then um, 
in the first season, uh, my first guest actually was the CEO of the company that acquired my company, Linda Zucker. Um, and I've just always been in awe of her. She's just this powerhouse, um, you know, who she was a corporate executive at Microsoft and, uh, you know, went on to be CEO, took, took the company that we were with from uh, near bankruptcy to IPO. Um, wow. And this really just, it's just amazing. And, but what was, I loved about being able to talk with her was that she, um, she also has a child and who's now a grown adult, but she stepped away from the workforce, not when he was little or a baby because she, he's, she stepped away after she had a very, very successful executive career. She stepped away when he was in middle school because one day mm -hmm. she just decided that she didn't want this to be like her life. Like she wanted to spend more time at home and she was in a, you know, she talks about her meetings and with the prime minister of Japan. I mean, she just had this amazing story. And, and then she still came back in and came back in at the highest levels as CEO and now she's a board director for different companies. So yeah, I just, I loved talking with her and hearing her story. Aww. Well, for those, um, well, my favorite, I mean, obviously because it's all relative or what you kind of relate to at the moment I loved your uh podcast with Elizabeth Prester on the door oh my god I know Elizabeth's great too <laughs> brilliant and I could obviously relate to it going through the birthing process myself at the moment so um I for people listening where can they um listen to your podcast it's on Stitcher is that right is there any other places they should head to it's every anywhere you listen to podcasts. So it's on Apple, it's on Stitcher, um, any any place you can uh, listen to podcasts, you can get it. And then we also have a website called the the forty three percent dot com. Um, like, and uh, you can get the episodes there too through Simplecast. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. So, um, I have one final and very important question for you, Claudia. Um. Given what you know now today, um, and think about this, this is you know a long long-winded question. But what advice would you give a younger Claudia? Now that could be a Claudia that's just graduated, or Claudia that's just taken her first job, or Claudia that's just raised her you know um, her fundraising for a SaaS startup, or whatever stage you think it is. But what sort of advice would you turn around to yourself and and say? you need to know this now <laughs> to get through the next five or 10 years. What sort of um, advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's been a very long wavy journey. Uh, and I, you know, I think I'm still in the middle of it, uh, so to speak. And um, I think I definitely spent a ton of time worrying about things when I was a lot younger um, which I now realize is a massive waste of time. Uh, yeah. and so I would definitely advise myself to, uh, you know, if you if you find yourself in an anxiety loop or a worry loop, you know, loop about a, a particular thing, um, do realize you have the power to stop and control your own thoughts and redirect your energy and your thoughts to the brighter future you want to achieve. And the more quickly... I've been learning over and over again that the more quickly I can redirect my thoughts to where it is I want to go, the quicker I get there. Absolutely. The power of positive thinking, people. <laughs> you should never be underestimated. Absolutely. 
Well, look, I thank you so much, Claudia, for your time and your candidness and, you know, showing your vulnerabilities and your strength uh, throughout, you know, your, you know, the decisions you made throughout your career. And now you can help other women or pass the baton, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really important for everyone to do at some stage. Um, but look, I thank you for your time. And listen, people, if you got a podcast, if you're on Spotify, you're on Apple, make sure you check, check out the 43%. That's after you've listened to Parlay Me Power Players. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but look, thank you so much, Claudia. And I, I really do appreciate your time and energy. And um, I wish you all the best. And I'm sure this is not the last we'll get to speak. <laughs> thank you so much. And congratulations again on your new baby. I know. It's uh it's so bizarre to finally have one. <laughs> you can't you can never explain it, right? <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, I'm like, this isn't gonna happen. This really there's a baby and suddenly there's a baby. So <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a wild ride, but I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. But look, I thank you so much and I wish you all the best and we'll be following your journey. Um and hopefully this isn't the last time uh, worlds correlate. <laughs> Thank Thank you. you. Thank you.